Good morning. Uh, one more time, New Life East. I'll have you stand up on your feet if you're able to. And uh, before we open the scriptures, uh, let's declare our faith together here. Say it with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll be in the book of Luke chapter 21 this morning. This is the start of Advent. Advent, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, is that moment in the church calendar where the church turns its attention to the coming of God in the world in the person of Jesus. And there are really a few different comings that we look at in Advent. We look uh, to the end of history as we declared in the creed. He will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So the first part of Advent is actually really oriented to the second coming of Jesus. And then as we start making our way in the latter, into the latter weeks of Advent, we start turning our attention to the first coming of Jesus in the world and his incarnation. But there's more going on in Advent than just the last coming and the first coming. Many uh, thinkers, theologians, mystics down through the centuries have also taught us that in the midst of Advent, one of the things that we're looking for is not just, again, at the end of history or 2,000 years ago, but we're looking for the advent of Jesus Christ in our midst, the appearing of Jesus Christ in the middle of history. And so Advent is this season where we learn once again to open our eyes to the invisible presence of God in our midst. Now, just a word quickly about the sacred year, the church calendar. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, Advent really starts the sacred year. But why is it that we worship around the rhythms of the church calendar? What is that all about? Well, one of the things that we learn from the scriptures is that our God is a timely God. And the way that he has set up his cosmos is he set it up in such a way that all of the little signals and signs in the heavens direct our hearts back to him. Part of what it means to be a human being is that we're attentive to what God is doing. And so we read this in Genesis, an interesting little text of scripture that you've probably never thought of this way. But the scripture says that, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. So we're talking about the sun and the moon and the stars, right? And let them serve as, what does the text say? Signs to mark what? Sacred time, not just time, but sacred time and day and year. So part of the point of the sun and the moon and the stars was to keep us ordered to the rhythms of creation that God has set up as a way of praising the creator. And of course, as the creation week unfolds a little bit later in Genesis, 
We read this in Genesis 2 and verse 3 that God blessed what day? The seventh day, and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And as we know, as the history of Israel unfolds, one of the things that God enjoins his people to do is to honor sacred time. Sabbath was a big moment of that. But then you think about, if you ever read the Old Testament, you'll see that there are all of these cycles of feasts and festivals in Israel's life. And all of them are connected to the mighty deeds of God, to Israel's history in some way. Which is a way of God saying, I want your time to be ordered to the things that I have done in your history so that you don't forget who you are. See, that's what sacred time does for us. It keeps us inside the story of how God is with us so that we'll remember who we are. In fact, one of the great ways to scramble a group of people is by changing their calendar. There's this moment in the book of Daniel that talks about the arising of this wicked king. And the scripture says that he'll speak against the most high and oppress the holy people. And he'll try to change what? The set times and the laws. So how do you scramble a people's identity? Well, you take away their calendar. Think about what, ha- what would happen in the United States here if some foreign oppressor came in and took away the 4th of July and Thanksgiving. Anybody that celebrates those things upon the pain of death, right? You will not celebrate. That scrambles you. What's it doing? It's taking away these things that are integral to our history, integral to our identity as a people. So if you want to mess up a people, change their calendar. Well, I don't know if you realize this, but like in our culture, I think that there is a massive conspiracy to take away sacred time and to order it to other things. So now all we really have to order time in American culture are things like the 4th of July and Thanksgiving and all the other seven zillion Hallmark holidays that have dropped in our calendar. And it's no wonder that we're lost as a people. We don't know the time of God. We've forgotten the story. So one of the things that the church does is the church in its wisdom, it orders us to the story of Jesus as a way of anchoring us again in sacred time. So when you think about the church calendar, it goes something like this. That in Advent, we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world. Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, which by the way, this isn't the Christmas season right now. Some of you are like blowing your world up. Calm down, it's going to be okay. This is the Advent season. And you know that feeling that you sometimes get on December 26th? You spent all that energy getting to Christmas and Christmas was amazing. And then December 26th, and it's like such this, it's a hollow, empty feeling. One of my kids one year remarked, he was like, December 26th, the worst day of the year. (laughs) And I go, why is it so bad? He goes, because Christmas is over. I go, it's not over. It's the second day of Christmas. You get 12 of them. Do you know that? You start celebrating Christmas on Christmas, and it just, it's supposed to just grow and grow. You keep celebrating that God is with us in Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Keep exchanging presents and eating good food. And then we move into Epiphany, the manifestation of Jesus to the world in the early part of his ministry. Lent, which is the passion of Jesus, what he suffers for us. Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. And then Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then we move into ordinary time which uh, lasts from basically the early summer all the way up to what we, you know, just a couple weeks ago here, which is a time when the church in the power of the Holy Spirit learns how to walk with Jesus. And so every year, the church takes us into the life of Jesus again. Why does it do that? Because it wants us to know that we don't live in any time other than the time of God. And that we don't live in any other story than the story of God. We can pretend otherwise or think otherwise, but it's not true. So the sacred year shows us how our time is already the time of God and our story is already the story 
of God. And Advent is the beginning of that. It'll be Luke 21 in just a moment. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, (laughs) we love you. We are grateful for your presence in our midst. We are grateful for the gift of these scriptures, this deposit of wisdom that the church has given us, this collection of letters and sayings and stories and poetry and prayer and thanksgiving, all of which somehow is gathered up by the living word of God to become the living word of God for us. We're grateful for that. And we are grateful that you are the God who has promised never to leave us and never to forsake us. Our time is already the time of God. Our story is already the story of God. We pray that this morning as we open the text of Scripture, that it would sing to us and speak to us in fresh ways of the many ways in which you already are, Emmanuel, God with us and God for us forever. So come, we pray. I ask that you would awaken faith in the hearts of the hearers. And I ask that you would awaken faith in the heart of the preacher here. Then we pray that there would be an advent of Jesus Christ in our midst in these next moments that we have together. Grant all these things. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Luke chapter 21, and I'm going to start at verse 25. Jesus says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. And people will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things, Jesus says, begin to take place, stand up. And lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. And even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass Away, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Thanks be to, to God. Advent, again, orients us to the coming of God. And there are moments in our lives where things just get torn apart. And Jesus invites us to discern those moments of tearing apart as the moments of his coming. Now, this text sometimes is read as a prediction or a prophecy of the second coming of Jesus at the end of history. So the tearing apart of the sun, moon, and stars and all of that, nations in anguish at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. But I think that there are signals, and it's fair to read the text that way, but I think that there are signals in this text that orient us to a particular moment in history where things really were torn apart and the discernment that was required to understand where God was in that tearing apart. If you have your Bibles open, now look down at chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, the beginning of the speech. Jesus is here with his disciples in the temple. And they're looking around at how beautiful this temple is and they're beginning to remark on it. The scripture says some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every single one of them will be thrown down. Jesus is making a prediction about something that was about to happen about four and a half decades later in Israel's history. As you might recall, if you know your history, Israel was under the thumb of Roman oppression at this time. Roman Empire was the biggest, baddest empire the world had ever seen. And the Jewish people, 
even though they were in their land and they were allowed to worship as they saw fit, they didn't like being under the, the thumb of somebody else. So think about how you would feel if the United States of America felt as some other country and they let us continue to conduct our lives, but always there was that other country over there lording it over us. That's how the Jewish people of the first century, for the most part, felt. And so there was this seething kind of animosity in their hearts. And Jesus kind of had this, Jesus had this, in fact, he predicted it a number of times in his ministry, but there was this awareness that Jesus had that that seething animosity that they had in their hearts to throw off Roman oppression would one day come back and bite them. And it did. In AD 70, a conflict broke out between Jewish people and Roman, uh, Roman centurions and soldiers in the city of Jerusalem. And that conflict, that conflagration that broke out, it leveled the city to the ground, burned the city, killed tens of thousands of people, and the temple itself was pulled down, set fire, the stones were ripped apart. Now think about what that must have been like for Jewish people living in Jerusalem. The temple is not just another building, is it? What does the temple symbolize for Jewish people? It's a symbol of God's presence. This, like, this thing reminds us, every time we come to worship here, this thing reminds us that God has chosen us. God has elected us. God has made us his special people. You couldn't walk around the temple without thinking about the promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promises that were given to David and Solomon, that there would always be a king in Jerusalem, that the temple would always be a place of unceasing worship offered up before the Lord. This was a symbol of God's presence and power. And it wasn't just a symbol, but they believed that God actually dwelt there mysteriously. God says to Moses that he would speak over the Ark of the Covenant to the people. This place, this temple, was the pulmonary center of Israel's life. And Jesus is saying that a moment is coming when this thing, that gives you so much identity and so much stability. You draw your whole idea of who you are from this space. This space is going to be ripped apart. It's going to be torn down. So when we get to this moment here in the latter part of Luke 21, where Jesus says that there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. All of that, talking about the sun, moon, and the stars, and the heavenly bodies being shaken, that's an apocalyptic way of talking about a thing that's happening in history. The destruction of the temple was the end of life as we know it. In the same way that if the sun actually did start spinning and the moon fell from the sky and the stars fell from the sky, you'd go, this is the end of the cosmos. Jesus is saying there's a thing that's coming that's going to feel like the end of the cosmos for you. And here's what Jesus says in the midst of that. That when these things begin to take place, verse 28, what are you supposed to do? Stand up and lift up your heads. Why? Church, I need you to be more invested in this with me. Why? Because, so think about it. In this moment where everything that you loved, everything that you held dear is being ripped to pieces. This moment where your whole national identity is being torn down, scrambled, deconstructed systematically. This moment where everything that you use to define yourself is being taken apart. Jesus says, what are you supposed to do? Stand up and lift up your heads because it feels like the end of the story, but it's actually the beginning of a brand new story. It feels like the end of life, but it's actually the beginning of new life. It feels like the destruction of everything that we held dear. And Jesus says it's actually the advent 
of the kingdom of God if you have eyes to see it. And it seems to me, family, that that effort to see things, to see beyond the surface of things to what's actually going on, what God is actually doing, that to me really is the whole effort of faith. I, um, one of my favorite poems from Mary Oliver, Colin read a poem from Mary Oliver last week. Nice job, Colin. She wrote this beautiful poem called The Summer Day, which is probably her most famous poem, and it served as a great inspiration for a lot of people. I want to read it to you and then make a remark to you on the effort to see with better eyes. Mary writes, Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? But this grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, the one who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and she floats away. I don't know, I don't know exactly what a prayer is, Mary says, but I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, she asks, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I love that poem for many reasons. But I think I love it most of all because Mary has this way of seeing beyond the surface of things to this landscape of meaning that lies beneath them, beyond them, behind them, inside of them. There's always more going on than what we see. And she has this whole huge section in the poem where she talks about the grasshopper, you know, who made the grasshopper? Not just any grasshopper, but like who made this grasshopper, right? She says the one who has flung herself out of the grass and who's eating sugar out of my hand, and who's gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes, who, who, who made this grasshopper. And it pivots for Mary into this observation about like the meaning of life. Like everything is beautiful and everything is a gift and it's given from the hand of the maker. And so she asks, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And she says those words to us and our hearts burn inside of us because we feel something of the revelation of it. We feel something of the epiphany of it taking over us in her very words, in those poetic lines about the grasshopper, though, do you know the story behind this poem? Mary was out on her porch eating a piece of cake one day. And you know how cake sometimes has too much frosting on it? Now, I don't actually believe that. I think actually the only reason that we eat cake is because we really wanted to eat frosting. And somebody told us that we needed to eat some milk and eggs in addition to it. But she's eating this piece of cake. And she kicks some of the frosting off onto the side. And this big old grasshopper comes up and starts eating the cake right off the plate right in front of her. Most of us <laughs> would stop the story right there, right? We go, oh, gross, disgusting, grasshopper, you vermin, invading my space, invading my place. This is nasty. I don't like this. And we shoo the grasshopper away. But Mary doesn't do that. What does she do? She looks, but she doesn't just look. She sees and she sees more going on there. And all of a sudden as she looks and she begins to see, this whole landscape of meaning unfolds before her. And she hears this like invitation. What is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? The locust, this grasshopper, is gallivanting about eating 
frosting off of the side of plates of random ladies. What about you? What are you going to do? Are you going to perceive the mystery and the beauty of it? It seems to me, guys, that this is what Jesus is constantly inviting us to do. Do you remember how often in the Gospels Jesus would say, you have eyes, but what? You don't see. And you have ears, but what? You don't hear. So Jesus is saying, don't just look at what's happening. But with the eyes of faith, see what's happening. And that everywhere, friends, is the invitation of Scripture. It is so easy to get caught up in the surface reality of things. We watch our families spin. We watch our projects spin. We watch our plans spin out of control. We watch national disaster and calamity. We watch new strains of the COVID virus coming out of South Africa, right? And it just feels like, what in the heck is going on? And we can so easily be dictated by all of the energy that lies at the surface of things. Meanwhile, there's the invitation of Jesus. To see that when nations are in anguish at the roaring and the tossing of seas, and when the sun, moon, and the stars are spinning out of control, it might be that this isn't the end of all things. It might be that this is the beginning of the kingdom of God breaking into your midst. This is the invitation of the scriptures. Think about what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, see to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more, listen to this, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So when it seems like everything is spinning out of control, it might just be that the kingdom of God is exploding in our midst at that moment. That's the invitation of Advent. Where we are tempted to see catastrophe, Advent invites us to discern the inbreaking kingdom of God. And if we have eyes to see it, we will see it everywhere. A few weeks back, Dave Miller and I prayed with a family down here at the altar after service. They came up to us. They started laying out this catastrophe that their family was in the middle of. They said, our son has been overseas for the last couple of years and we haven't seen him. And he just came to us recently and told us that all of his life, he felt like he was a girl on the inside. And the last couple of years, he's been taking hormone treatment and doing all the stuff that you need to do to transition your gender to another gender. He said, and we, hadn't, we haven't seen him in person We've just seen kind of pictures of him here and there, and he just showed us a picture of himself recently, and he's, uh, he's all the way in it. Full transition is underway. And he said, and we raised all of our kids. We raised our kids in church, and we raised them to know the Lord, and we don't really know what's going on with him, and we don't know what to say about it. All we know is that this is going to th- be a thing that is going to cause our family to spin, and we're scared, and we don't know what to say to our family and friends, and we don't know what to do, and we're really scared, they said, to tell my parents. This is the dad talking. He said, we w- we're going to tell my parents in a little bit, And my parents are born and raised, died in the wool, cradle Catholics. He said, so we're like really afraid that when we talk about this thing that's happening with our son to my parents, that it's going to blow our family to pieces. Would you please pray for us? So Dave and I prayed for them down at the altar over here. And we are pleading the grace and the mercy of Jesus over them. We're pleading the kingdom of God, that God's will would come, that God's will would be done, that the name would be hallowed, in their lives. And as we're praying for them, I just had this word in my spirit that this thing that feels like the end of their family or the potential end of their family 
I just felt like the Lord was saying it's actually going to be for the salvation of their family. And you know how these things work in families. That sometimes there there are just things that get built into families. That they almost need a catastrophic type event to break them and to shake them open. And I just had that sense in my spirit. And so I said to him, I said, listen, I just, I don't take this with a grain of salt. I know that you're very scared to talk to the family about this, but I just have this sense in my spirit that when you sit down to talk with your parents about this and you break the news to the whole family, I don't think that it's going to cause chaos. I think that this is actually going to be a moment for the kingdom of God to break in. Just wait and see. And please tell us how it goes. One week later, I see them back here. And they come up to me and they've got tears in their eyes. And I said, how did that conversation go last week? They said, we took a letter from our son and we gathered the family together. And we read the letter from my son and we were so scared about what everybody was going to say and everybody was going to do. And you know what happened? They said, we've never experienced so much compassion and closeness and coming together in our family as we did that Sunday. So when these things, Jesus says, begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads. Why? Because redemption is coming near. I'm not saying that God causes these things. I'm not saying that God did that. I'm not saying that God did the thing that happened in Luke 21, the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that God comes riding in on the back of those things. And where it seems like the end of the story, God creates new stories. God works out. As, I think about the great story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. What you intended for harm, Joseph says. What? God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Like this thing that happened is not a thing that should have happened. And yet God recruits that thing and he makes it part of his purposes so that the kingdom of God comes and the will of God is done in the earth. I'm saying that this is the way that it is with our lives. I know it because I've experienced it. I think that that word that I gave to that family down at the altar, I think I gave it because I've experienced it in my own life. I think about some of the things that Mandy and I have been through over the years, things that felt like the end of the story, the end of the world for us. I remember walking through a leadership crisis at our church in Denver, that church that we intended to be at for all of our lives. I remember going there and saying to the Lord, 30 years, God, that's what I'm going to give you. That's what I want to do. I could think of nothing better than to be with, in one city with one group of people doing one work over a lifetime. That felt like the thing. And we went through a leadership crisis there in 2014. It felt like the end of the world, and we were still standing when it was all over. And so we got back to work, doing the thing that you do, trying to reorganize the community and put courage back in people's hearts and just get things in the right space. And we did that. Two years later, we got to a place where we started feeling like, yes, the community is healthy and it sounded good. And we watched it bounce back. And we started feeling like because of the dynamics that were released in that leadership crisis, that it was time for us to say goodbye to the community. It was time for us to move on. And I cannot tell you how that cut me to the soul. But I love those people. I love that work. I loved who I got to be there. I loved all of it. And the only future that I had ever imagined for myself was the future where I was the pastor of those people until I was an old man with gray hair. That was the only thing I'd ever thought of. And when you get to the point where all of a sudden it feels like something is happening that's out of your control, that's pushing you away from the thing that you really value, do you know what it feels like? It feels like there are signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And it feels like the nations are in anguish at the roaring and the perplexity of the seas. That's how it felt for me. It felt like the tearing apart of my life. It felt like the dissolution of everything that I knew. It actually felt like, I remember telling some people 
that when we left Denver and we came to Colorado Springs, this place is paradise, man. This is beautiful, gorgeous city with this church that is the most amazing church. And I mean this, the most amazing church that I've ever been a part of with friends that I, like, I can't believe the friends that I get to have here and the work that I get to do. And when you're ripped out of a life that you love and you're put somewhere, it feels like getting put in a witness protection program. That's how I felt. (laughs) Here's your job. Here's your car. Here's your house. Here's your work. Here's your credit card. Here are your friends. Have a nice life. So what am I supposed to do now? You know, it actually felt like I've told some other people that it felt like it felt like if you took Frodo out of Lord of the Rings, you know, and you dropped him in Harry Potter or something. How do you explain who you are and what you do? How do you imagine the future? Frodo knows what he's supposed to do in the Lord of the Rings. He doesn't have a freaking clue what he's supposed to do. And it felt like that for years. It felt like the ripping apart of my life. And what does Jesus say? When those things happen, when it feels like everything's ripped away and everything's ripped apart, when the pulmonary center of your life, when the temple that you worshiped at, the place where you met with the living God, when that's torn down stone by stone, brick by brick, when enemies come in and they set your whole life on fire and it feels like the end of the world, what does he tell us to do? Stand up. Lift up your heads. Redemption is coming near. Paul says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And it's not entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But God reveals it to us by the Spirit. And all that God has done in our lives the last four and a half years, I couldn't have concocted that. I couldn't have planned it. I couldn't have anticipated it. But we're living in God's redemption over our lives in area after area after area after area. And it took the ripping apart of one thing to create the new thing. Again, I'm not saying that God does these things to us, but I'm saying that God's kingdom is in it. That what he's doing is he's shaking down the things that cannot be shaken or can be shaken so that the things that cannot be shaken remain. That's Advent. Fleming Rutledge puts it so well when she says that the human race cannot expect to receive any lasting comfort from this world. But the comfort that we so desperately need must come from somewhere else in a burst of transcendent power breaking upon our ears from beyond our sphere altogether. And here's the invitation of Advent, to see that those places in our lives where it feels like there's explosions taking place, there's breaking aparts and breaking downs that are taking place, when it feels like everything is being ripped to shreds, Advent invites us to see that that's actually a burst of the transcendent power of God from beyond our sphere, saving our lives. I don't know what you're standing in right now, that feels like a ripping apart to you, that feels like a coming apart to you. Some of you, it was a conversation that happened this week. You had every hope that being at the Thanksgiving table with your family was going to be sweet and beautiful, and somebody said that one thing that sent you into a tailspin, or there was an explosion that happened in your life this week at that Thanksgiving table. Maybe your year has just been that kind of a year where things that you loved and held so dear, things that gave you meaning and oriented you in your purpose and your life, Maybe this has been a year where those things exploded and fell apart, or maybe it's been years for you. 
of that happening on front after front after front, and you're still like holding the rubble of your life, trying to figure out how's it all going to get put back together again, I don't know what to say to you this morning except the words of the Lord Jesus. Stand up. Lift up your head. God is saving your life. And I promise you that you will get to the end of your life and you will look back on all of those things that you went through and you will go, God was there and I was not aware of it. That's the invitation of Advent. Can we stand this morning? Do you know what will happen to us if we don't engage these places of breakdown by faith? We will start pointing the finger and getting angry at everybody. (laughs) And it just strikes me that some of you are in that place and you're rightfully angry maybe because of what was done to you and what was said to you. But the intention of God is that as we come to him in worship, that that anger that we feel towards everybody else, that that's actually transformed into faith and it's transformed into praise. And the longer we live in that place of pointing the finger, I think actually the more unlikely it is that we will actually see where God is at work. So this moment here, friends, I want you to do this. I don't know what the place is for you that you're holding, but I want you just to hold it like this before the Lord. You got two clenched fists, right? And you know what the thing is because you live with it every single day of your life. And you got the, the fist clenched around it. And there is a beautiful thing that our faith invites us into. And it's surrender. And that's where life really begins. Where we stop trying to manipulate and we stop trying to control and we stop trying to manage outcomes and we stop pointing the fingers and blaming everybody. And what we do is we take it and we go into your hands. And so this morning I want you to do that. And it may be hard as the dickens, but just do it by faith. We go like this. We open our hands. And we release it to you, O God. Always you have been the Lord of our lives. Nothing has happened to us. Nothing has happened to us that you have not overseen in some way, that your providential hand has not been in. Jesus says that not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your heavenly Father. And he says, don't be afraid. You're worth more than the sparrows. Would you help us this morning remember that we're worth more than the sparrows too, that our lives count, that they matter, and that your intentions for us are good and only good all the days of our lives. Would you come and open our eyes? Come and help us see. Help us see. Let's sing this song of worship and response, family, and then Pastor Colin's going to lead us to the table.
be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you do that right now? God, we give you thanks that you are working when we can't see it. And we give you thanks that you are still present in the midst of our unraveling what communion symbolizes for us is that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks just like we had done he took it and he, and he broke it and symbolized the breaking that his body would go through for you would you break this bread and when that happened the breaking of, of Jesus' body when that happened for the disciples they said this is not how we expected this to happen our world has unraveled. You did not rescue us like we thought you would. You, in fact, left us. You've died. It was through Jesus' death and then his resurrection, but first his death. That shows that he's doing this for you and for me. Would you receive the bread? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. When we take this cup, we remember that we are remembered into the body of Christ through this action that Jesus did on the cross for you. He put it back together. Would you receive the cup? Thank you, Jesus. There's only one reaction that we can have, which is worship and praise. Would you sing the doxology together? And praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here. Open your hands like this. Receive this benediction, family, as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you know that he's the one who says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So Hebrews says, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Would you march boldly into your life this week? 
God is with you. God is with you. What can people do to us? If you need prayer for anything this morning, New Life East, I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward. We'd love to pray for you and with you over anything that you're wrestling with in your life. Uh, If you're new, uh, come to Connect Central. See us out there. New Life East, you are loved. We will see you next Sunday.